Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from the Athletic columnist Bob Kravitz. He does join us. So how much, I'm intrigued by this, how much have you received from social media, email, whatever, about Colts fans and what they believe should be a legit interest in Lamar Jackson here? You know, not not much at all. Uh, I've actually been surprised. Um, I've been surprised by the whole reaction throughout the league. Teams are, I mean, this is collusion of Palooza here. I mean, everybody is saying, oh, we're not interested. Um, I mean, I, a guy with, with, with his history, with his background, um, hell yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd pay whatever it takes, especially if you're the Colts. And you've, you know, been on the veteran, you know, washed up guy carousel here for the last, you know, however many years since Luck retired. And, um, yeah, I have not heard that much from people. I think everybody is focused on the draft. And so am I. I I said time and place, and I just, I don't think at all this is the time and place for the Colts. If this were to happen a year ago, two years ago. I mean, yeah. hypothetically, that would have made sense. To me, it just seems like everybody's kind of focused in, as you mentioned, on the draft. And, you know, whether or not there's going to be interest out there with Lamar Jackson, I just, I, to me, I would rather see the Colts go into the draft, get somebody, and move forward in that fashion. I, I have to think about that one. I, I think I, I would prefer a guy who's proven he can play uh, at an MVP level. It's not like he's an old man. No, he's 24, you know? yeah. He's got plenty of good years in front of him. If I got a guy with that kind of talent who is available to me, now I realize he wants Deshaun Watson guaranteed money, uh, and I don't know that that's ever going to happen again. Um, I'll tell you, I, I, I would be intrigued. Um, I just, it's, it feels By the way, he's cool. 26. I, I short-sighted him by two years. He's 26, not 24. Go ahead. Uh, but – it, it just strikes me as uh, collusive that all these teams are, you know, making it clear to their local beat writers that they have no interest in going after. And I'm like, wait, Derek Carr's got how many suitors and nobody wants Lamar Jackson? How does that work? Why would you think? Why would you think other teams out there? And there still may be. Right, early stages here. I mean, we know where all this stuff sometimes can go. What? Why would you think that teams that and you can factor in the Colts on this too? Wouldn't necessarily because the Colts would be different. I think we both know why the Colts would not have interest at this point in time. But why would other teams not have interest? No, they don't want to pay. They, you know, the the Cleveland Browns set a horrible, horrible precedent. Not only giving a lifetime worth of uh, guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson, but a guy with his history, you know, his, his bad history. Um, and I just don't think they – I think it's understood by all the owners through the league that they are – you know, that was a precedent that they're just – they're going to ignore. They're, not, they're just not going to do it. Um, so, yeah, I think it comes down to cash. So Bob Kravitz of the Athletic the Columnist, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. But we both know why why the Colts wouldn't do it right now. Because I'm skeptical about this. I don't know what you think. This is my theory sitting here in the early stages of March, knowing that the draft is still a couple of months away, that they end up staying at four because they like somebody that's going to be available quarterback at four. 
What say you? I think they got to move up and get their guy. Uh, whether that's one or two or whatever, they can't take their third favorite person in this draft. And there is a chance that that will happen because I think a lot of teams are going to make every effort to move up, including Frank Reich's uh, Carolina Panthers, who are going to you know, pay a, a king's ransom to move up. So I think staying at four, I, if I was Chris Ballard, I would not be sleeping soundly uh, at the prospect of picking fourth because I might end up with my third favorite uh, quarterback. Did you gather that – I asked him this a couple of times last week. Of course, he met with the media at the Combine. If there was going to be much more of a philosophy change here going into year seven after the, the past six years. And, you know, I, I, I gather in asking him twice in different ways, there's not going to be much of one. In, in his belief, Bob, of what he thinks can build an elite-level championship caliber of team, uh, do you agree that there's going to be much of a change? Uh, well, I, I think they understand that they've got to start building from the outside in as opposed to the inside out, which is what they've done for several years. But, you know, I I don't think the overall philosophy is that bad. It's just when you have, a, when you have no quarterback, you know, any philosophy is going to look horrible. I mean, I think you can build – a strong offensive line, which we thought they were building. I think you could have a running game. Um, you could have a good defense. That's all great. You ain't got the quarterback. It doesn't matter. So I think I think it's not so much a philosophical thing as getting the right guy behind center. Uh, do you think that Chris Ballard would pay the price it would take to get up to number one? Uh, well, first of all, the, the, these uh, – what we're seeing. No, and uh, I know it's going to change. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, it's going to change big time. Uh, it, it, you know, if you're talking about two first rounders, I, I don't think he would. But at the same time, he's got he's got to know that he he's on a short leash, and he better go out and get the guy that he wants. Now, I mean, if they think Stroud, if they think Bryce Young, or if they like Stroud. You know, if they get him a two, three, whatever, I think they have to make a move in the next couple of weeks to make sure they don't get stuck with the, you know, their third choice. So, Bob Kravitz of The Athletic, he's the columnist on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned what what Ballard would be on a, a short leash here. This is my theory. My theory on Ballard is, with Jim Irsay letting him go into year seven, with the lack of results we have seen through the first six. He's obviously getting this year. I think because it's going to be a rookie quarterback, easily he's going right. to get next year. And then I think because even if they don't win or get close to a division title or anything, if they show signs, um, and I'm assuming that they will unless they're completely inept in year number two, he's certainly going to get year three. I don't think for sure he's going anywhere for the next three years. You know, I – this is Jim Irsay we're talking about, and I understand that he's paid through. Uh, or he's going to get paid through twenty twenty six. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he's safe this next this coming year. But I'll tell you what: if, if he doesn't get the right quarterback, and that becomes abundantly obvious, like right away, like Zach Wilson bad, then I think he's going to be on the hot seat. 
uh, well before 2020. No, no, no. Yeah, and you're right about that. Yeah, that that changes the dynamic altogether if it's a Zach Wilson situation occurs. Right. But I think otherwise, it's going to be three years. Yeah, it might, it might it may very well be. I mean, this is not a team that's bereft of talent. You know, I mean, a year ago they had seven Pro Bowlers. This year all went straight to hell. But uh, I still think, you know, you get a uh, healthy Jonathan Taylor back. Um, maybe you coach up this offensive line. You got Ryman all year. Um, you know, he started playing better later in the season. Uh, you know, they, they could turn this around pretty quickly. But, again, with a rookie quarterback, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be it's gonna be rough sledding there for a while. I mean, you remember Peyton, 3-13 through 28 interceptions. All-time rookie record uh, his rookie years. So, I mean, and that's Peyton freaking Manning. Yeah, but, and again, at that point in time, really the only success we'd seen around here was at the end of the 95 season, so. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, it, it's different it's different now, but I will say this, Bob, I will say this, without results of recent history, the, the, the results of being a consistently good team are getting further and further in the rear view here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, they, they haven't won the worst division in football and, you know, since Ballard's been here. So, I mean, that, that tells you everything you need to know. To Bob Kravitz of The Athletic, he is with us. I think you've mentioned this to me before. You are of the opinion that IU's got a better opportunity to make a deeper run in the NCAA tournament than I the do. Boilermakers. We'll get to that in a second. But what about both teams? What do you think the possibility is? For us to get Purdue and IU round three on Sunday. Wouldn't that be sweet? That would be so great. I think there's a chance. I, I Look, there's no behemoth. There's no monolith in, in the Big Ten. You know, we thought Purdue was that team. And, yes, they did win the, the Big Ten by three games, which is just extraordinary. But they've lost their mojo some. And I just don't think there's a great Big Ten team out there. I think – I think IU's got a great shot. I think I wouldn't be. It wouldn't surprise me uh, if we see, you know, some team we didn't expect, some dark horse, uh, get into the final game. But yeah, I mean, we're all rooting for IU Purdue. Uh, you know, on Sunday, that would be fantastic. Now, when you're thinking about the Boilermakers on the other side too, you think they're going to be able to rectify some of these late season situations, especially from three-point range and with that freshman backcourt? Are things going to change for them, get better like they were earlier in the season, or still stuff they're going to have to deal with in your estimation? Well, I think they'll be okay in the Big Ten tournament if they care enough to win the Big Ten tournament. I haven't always gotten that feeling from Matt Boehner that it's terribly significant. But, uh, look, I mean – like I said, they won the Big Ten by three games. They're still the best team in the Big Ten. So I give them far more than a puncher's chance. I'd say they're the favorite. But they need to find whatever it is they lost. I think there's a bigger chance that they would fall, get into trouble in the NCAA tournament because, again, you know, uh, uh, it, it all depends on matchups. And I know that's cliche, but if you got a team that's really got some strong guards who are going to push those freshmen out, uh, and make them initiate offense uh, further from the basket uh, and, and press them. I mean, they have not shown the ability consistently uh, to, to handle the press well. Uh, that You know, that could be problematic for Purdue. 
So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic, before I let you go, Trace Jackson Davis winding up his career, of course, on Sunday down in Bloomington at IU. And for somebody that attended IU, uh, worked at the IDS, you've uh, seen a lot of players go through yeah. those doors down there. Where does he rank all time to you? Uh, he's a top five player all time, uh, you know. I mean, you know, the, the the numbers bear that out. Now, certainly if Isaiah had spent four years at IU, a lot of these guys had spent four years at IU, Eric Gordon, they would have put up similar numbers. But he, to me, he's a top five, me, you know, at worst a top ten player. And the thing that's amazing to me is he's the fourth all-time leading scorer, and I don't think he scored a bucket beyond five feet. Yeah, that is amazing, too. I, here's what I'm hoping for. I think there are going to be more than just a couple of people that will always reflect on the lack of winning in the NCAA tournament. You know, outside of just his four-year individual, on-the-floor, regular season accomplishments. And I don't want to see that. That's probably why more so than anything else, I'd like to see IU make a run. So yeah. that is not going to be a basis of conversation we're going to have to hear for years to come. Well, he and he understands this. He's a smart guy. Um, he understands that he has a chance to rewrite his, rewrite the legacy, rewrite the again uh, your favorite word, the narrative. Yeah. Um, but it's true. I mean, he's the narrative is really good player on a pretty crappy team. You know, just you know, a team kind of on the edge, make the NCAA, don't make the NCAA, whatever. Um, and if they can go on a run here. Uh, then Jackson Davis will be, I think, thought of uh, in a different way. Maybe not by his coaches or his teammates or uh, whatever, but I, I think the general public would look at him a little bit differently, that he led them to something significant. And uh, I, I hope for his sake that um, that he's able to do that. All right, Bobby, going to Chicago? I am going tomorrow. Well done. Well, have a good time. I know you will have a good time. The good time just kind of follows you around. They follow me around, man. If you can get in trouble in Des Moines, you can get in trouble in Chicago. No doubt about that. All right, we'll be uh, looking to see what you have up there. Enjoy your time at the Big Ten Conference Tournament, Bob. Thank you. Sure will. See you, man. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Big Ten Network. Former Boilermaker Rafael Davis joins us. Are they making you sit out in the cold too on those sets? Uh, well, no, no, no. Uh, I don't think they're. I wouldn't say they're making, making it. I think it's a, it's fun. It, it was cold, but I think it's, uh, it's super fun to be up there, be on the uh, rooftop, uh, talking hoop. I think it's. Uh, I think it was a cool idea, but uh, I enjoyed it. I'm glad you. I'm glad days. you did because yeah, man, yeah, man, the cool, the the cool atmosphere and the conversation can help keep you warm out there because you guys all look like you're cold as hell. To be honest with you. Oh yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not as bad. It's not a. Uh, I mean, 
it's people going to work every day in worse conditions. So yeah, no uh, doubt about that. I, I can't complain about going to talk about basketball for for an hour or so. There's no doubt about it. Rayfield Davis of the Big Ten Network as the Big Ten Conference Tournament is underway officially later on tonight. I'm, I'm curious, is this thing as wide open as everybody believes it to be as we start night number one? Um, yes and no. I don't think it would surprise anyone if anyone was to win. So I think guess it's wide open in that sense. Whereas though, if a few teams will win it, I don't think it, I don't think it would surprise anyone. But I do think uh, I do think going into it, Purdue is the favorite. I mean, you win the league, you win the league by three games, and you let a few go that that you shouldn't have let go. So I think uh, I think Purdue will go into it as the favorite. I think they're a heavy favorite. I mean, you had a player of the year. I mean, I think Coach Painter he may feel as though he should have been coach of the year. I mean. So I think I think they're a favorite in this one, but I would not be surprised if, um, honestly, I just wouldn't be shocked or surprised if anyone was to put together a run and win this thing. You are under full expectations that Purdue gets everything back in order, especially with their freshman backcourt back to playing the way that when they really. Rafael established themselves as a front runner in the nation and probably surprisingly so the way that the freshman backcourt played. You think they're ready to reestablish themselves as we enter this Big Ten Conference Tournament Friday night? Yeah, and I mean, it's, I don't even think it's just about the freshman. I think it's the entire backcourt. you got to put Brandon Newman in there and David Jenkins and Morgan and those guys. I mean, as a team, the last six games, they shot the ball 26% from deep. So that's um, that's on everybody. That's not just on the on the freshmen. They just got to shoot the ball better. So I think when if, when they make shots from the perimeter, they're a better team. And the games they lost, those four games when they went out on that four four out of six losing streak, they shot the ball twenty three percent from three. So it's just a thing when when they don't make shots, they struggle. And when you don't make shots and you turn it over, and then you don't get the second chance points that you're used to. That's when you're in trouble. You look at the Northwestern game and the Maryland game, and both, I mean, neither one of those teams allowed Purdue to get second chance points, and then they struggle from three. So that um, that kills you when you're not a good transition team, when you're not a, a running up and down. So I think both of those guys, with a couple of days of, of, of rest, not really going as hard in practice, they don't have to play till Friday. I think they'll be shooting a lot of shots this week. So I think um, I think they'll make shots on Friday. Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network, the former Boilers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, has mentioned the Big Ten Conference Tournament officially underway a little bit after 6 tonight, Ohio State-Wisconsin. 9 o'clock tonight features Minnesota and Nebraska. One final thing regarding the Boilermakers, too. Outside of, of Zach Eady, and individually speaking here, Rafael, who's the second most important player to play at a high level for Purdue to reach their goals and expectations in this postseason? Uh, Brady Smith. Um, he's the point guard. I mean, your point guard has got to be good in March. You've got to have good guard play. And then guard play starts with your point guard. That's the, the leader of the court on the team. I mean, Zach Eady is, is the guy to get the ball to, but he's got to get it from a guard. So I think um, Brady Smith, I mean, he's just got to be aggressive. He's aggressive. It helps the team and aggressive offensively. I mean, you look at the Iowa game in the second half, he had a stretch where he was the best player on the floor. He took the game over. I mean, against Marquette, I mean, 20 points against Marquette. I mean, he was great in that game. 
So, I mean, even in the in the in the Illinois game in the first half, had 14 points in the first half. So, I think when he's aggressive, it helps everybody. It helps open up the floor. So, I think he would be the guy that I would look look that I would say has to has to play well each game. All right, Ray Fell, regarding IU, the other side of the bracket, and there would be nothing more exciting to get uh, a, a Sunday matchup, round number three, if you will, with the rivalry. What's your impression on the, the path that IU has? They can put something together, and it, it seems like that if there is somebody that has a beneficial path that is more exceptional than anybody else's in this tournament beginning later on today, it would be that of IU. Your thoughts about IU being able to withstand until Sunday afternoon? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why people are, I don't get why people are saying that. <laughs> why, I mean, why, I mean, why don't you get why they saying that? I mean, because Northwestern beat, beat Indiana. I mean, it's not as if Indiana just blew the doors off of Northwestern and Northwestern beat Indiana. I mean, Penn State Penn State blew the doors off of Indiana, so Penn State was to beat Illinois, and then say you got a Penn State-Indiana game, I think Penn State will be pretty confident in that matchup. I mean, you put, you have to, you make Indiana make a decision, you kind of make them choose, you can't play Race Thompson and TJD both when you play a Penn State, and they the way they spread the floor, it, um, it goes against the principles of an Indiana defense, so and even though the Northwestern, I think Boo Booey and Chase Aldees, I think they feel really confident against Indiana. I mean, going to Assembly Hall and winning is one of the hardest things to do in the Big Ten, and they did that this year. So I don't know. I don't. I, I've heard. I've heard that narrative. I heard people talk about it, but I, I think it's a little disrespectful for the team that's already beaten them this season. Yeah, and, and here's another way to and look at it too. That's like a, that would be as if, that's if me saying Purdue has an easy way of getting there. When you think about Purdue beat Michigan State twice, yet they lost the Rutgers, but Rutgers is playing bad right now. They beat Michigan, so I think um, I think uh, I, I don't I don't I think well, Indiana has the same chance as Purdue does. I, I, I think it, it, there are a couple of different reasons to play into this. One is it's the first time Indiana's ever been involved in this this double buy. Um, and, and just to you know to have an opportunity that you look at Northwestern and Northwestern has struggled recently. IU has not been without their struggles either. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just trying to justify what people are saying with Northwestern struggles as well. I mean, let's just say for example, if it's if it's Maryland, Maryland has had its struggle, so it, it doesn't look as as daunting for IU fans, even though IU has had its own issues here down the stretch at times. I think those are a couple yeah. of the reasons as to why, Ray Fell, people want to utilize that as a storyline going in. Right. No, I I, I, can, I understand it, but, I mean, even Maryland. Maryland, I mean, Maryland beat Indiana and Trey Jackson Davis had a really, really good game. So, I mean, um, I, I, mean I, I understand it, but I, I just don't um, – I, I don't agree with that. I, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana got there. I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana won the whole thing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana was to get to a Final Four. But I'm just saying, in the sense of they have an easy path. With and when they lost all the when they lost to all the teams they would play, I don't know. I don't see that. 
With Trace Jackson Davis and, and Jalen Hood Shafino, those two players for IU, Ray Fell are obvious right there. And this is kind of the same question I gave you regarding you know, who's the second most important to Zach Eady with Purdue. Uh, who really needs to step up? And I, I don't just mean stepping up in a moment or two, but stepping up and sustaining, not just this weekend, but moving past this weekend for IU to have this postseason success that a lot of Hoosier fans are hoping for. I think uh, I think beyond those two, it's um, Trey Galloway, Miller Cop. It's more of a combination, more of a tandem. Um, I mean, which which version do you get? Do you get the version at Mackey Arena where I think they went? Um, I think they went eleven for twenty from the field. I think they had twenty six points. They made five or six threes, and um, they were really really good on the defensive end. Or then you get the. Um, the Miller Cop and Trey Galloway against Iowa and against and against Michigan, where they really where they really struggled. I mean, they were I think they were eight for twenty four and got twenty points in combination in both games. So um, it's kind of with they those two guys, Chris Shafino and TJD, you kind of know what to expect at this point. But with those other with those role guys, when they play well, when they shoot the ball and they're confident and they're going. It really takes Indiana to another level. I think that's what Indiana is the Final Four team. If you get good games out of Merlin Cobb and Trey Galloway, because Trey Galloway's size, his athleticism, and his ability to, to, to disrupt things on a defensive end, so he's making shots on the offensive end, and then Miller Cobb is confident making shots. That's when, um, and that's what they seem to be against Purdue. They look really, really good when, they, when they're going. And then TJD is TJD, so. I think that um, that's when they're at their best. Give me a wild card here, too. Give me a team that maybe we're not talking about, we're not thinking about right now that might have a run in them coming up this weekend. Uh, I mean, if I was – I think – I would say Iowa, but I think Iowa's not a wild card because, I mean, they're reigning champs. But outside of Iowa, outside of Iowa, because, I mean, Iowa has probably the best front court in the league with uh, Chris Murray and Philip Bracha. I mean – they're really good. Tony Parker's been playing well. I mean, Payne Sanford's a dead-eye shooter. But also, I mean, a team that just beat Iowa will be Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska's playing really good basketball right now. No one's talking about Nebraska. You look at Nebraska's record, the schedule. I think they have four quad one wins. I mean, they don't have a bad loss on their record. I mean, they they, they can win a few games and it can get interesting. So, I think um, Nebraska is a team that I will have my eye on. They play tonight. I think if they were win tonight, it will give them a lot of confidence going into tomorrow. It's uh, Rayfeld Davis of the Big Ten Network. As I mentioned, Ohio State, Wisconsin at 6.15. You've got a 9 o'clock start with Minnesota and Nebraska. Coming up from the United Center in Chicago, and of course the Big Ten Tournament, Big Ten Network-wise, Rayfeld Davis, the former Boilermaker, and company have you covered. I appreciate that more than you know. Enjoy your time, either warm or cold up there. Let the conversation <laughs> warm you over with everybody else. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you, 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 you're not as miserable out there as it appears you guys might look freezing, but it's all oh, good. No, no, so, no. yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, uh, it's the best job in the world. I could do that. Uh, I could do that in the rain, sleet, snow. I could do that wherever. But no, I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad we'll, we'll be inside. We'll be on the court now from here on. So <laughs> you got I'm it. I'm looking forward to that. All right, I appreciate you. Enjoy it. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta 
ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Morning show, Kevin and Query. It starts at 7 a.m. weekday mornings, Monday through Friday here on The Fan. Concludes at about 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us. You think you're a little bit sideswiped? by this Butler season in all when Thad Mata comes back and looking for the most part as they have, just not ready really for anything. Yeah, I just, I mean, the magnitude of some of those losses, I mean, they just got outclassed in so many Big East games. And, yeah, I don't think the expectation was like, oh, man, it's a team that could, you know, whatever, win a game in the tournament or anything like that. But right. they pretty much brought back, like, all the key pieces or a lot of them and again I know they're a bad team last year but you brought back some of your young guys and Lucocious and Jaden Taylor and then you added you know a, a lot of transfers and I get that they've had some injury issues certainly but you know to again be outclassed as much as they were in the Big East and then today I mean yeah it was ugly and Eric Hunter Jr. like academic issue I mean how many times do you see guys first off just Miss games, period. Yeah. Due to you know academic requirements of the program, and you know it's midterm time, I guess. So I mean that's just a weird time of year for you know in Eric Hunter's case, your lone senior on the roster and a guy that you know graduated at Purdue and and all of those things. And you know, these are not two holdovers. I mean these are two Thad Mata guys that you brought in in the transfer portal either. So Butler's had a little bit too much of this. Like, on the floor, the product has not been up to its standard either. But they've also just had some off-the-floor stuff that I'm not used to Butler having either. Um, So this is a big undertaking for Thad Mata, and this year was certainly no positive step forward. Yeah, I I like Jaden Taylor a lot, but it was a struggle. Between him and, and Chuck Harris, they were one of 11 from the floor in this game. Like shooting was a year, was an issue all year long. You know, Harris and Taylor would have some moments, but just consistently, I mean, they struggled. And, and you know, it, it almost a lot of it, you know, boiled down to is Manny Bates playing or not? Like if Butler could any could even be competitive. So, I mean, they only lose you know Hunter, but still, it's you know I don't think there's like this massive recruiting class coming in. Obviously, you're going to have to try and find something in the portal, but. Yeah, I, I did not expect it to be this bad like it was this year. I'm going to double back to the rest of college basketball in just a second, but I do want to get this out of the way. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I, I'm i not surprised because of the lack of success that's been around here for such a long time right now, but I am I am not with everybody that says, you got to investigate and give this Lamar Jackson thing a swing. I am standing by drafting a quarterback coming up in the spring. How about you? Yeah, I, I think I'm there as well. Um, I think Lamar Jackson's tremendous talent, but that is quite the price tag to pay for a guy that – Doesn't finish? Hasn't hasn't finished seasons. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah, Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, That's that's one way to put it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Just yeah. I would also I would also worry about you know he wants a guaranteed contract and if you're talking about paying a guy guaranteed money into his 30s when his dominant trait is being the best, most dynamic athlete on the field, using his legs, you know, absorbing hits to your point, sustaining, you know, for, for, for 17 games, 
that's a lot to ask for, and it's too much for me to ask for, again, paying him into his 30s. I know he's only 26 now, but like you said, he hasn't finished each of the last two seasons, and he's a guy that, as great as he is at avoiding hits, you just naturally can't avoid them all. And at some point, if the question is, you take his, you know, whatever, incredible, like his A-plus running trait, if that becomes a B, that lessens him as a player. And to me, that doesn't equal the value that you're paying him. So that's where my hesitancy would creep in on it. And again, when you're throwing two first-round picks in there and then the money on top of it all, it's just too too rich of, a, of an asking price for me. I think when healthy, he's a really, really good player. Clearly, he was an MVP the NFL a couple of years ago. But he is really different than a lot. I mean, I guess maybe Justin Fields, but you know, all these other guys, they, they, for the most part, you know, can handle it from the pocket. Um, and, and you don't feel like you're losing a ton of, as a player, Lamar Jackson has shown he can throw it for sure, but he really needs to be that a plus runner to be worthy of the contract. I think he's asking for, and I just don't think as age 26 turns into 27 and 28 and 29 and into his thirties and the guaranteed money is still there on a six-year deal or whatever he is looking for, I I don't think you'd be getting the return that you'd be investing. Kevin Bowen joins us, and I'm I'm assuming your partner in the morning is probably going to get an analogy arousal out of what I'm about to say here. But I I think essentially what you're (laughs) going to be getting is you're going to be getting uh, like a a used used car with – uh, a lot of mileage on it already even if he just is 26 it's a used car that's been banged around a great deal is what you're going to be getting i think yeah and, and again if that running element just deteriorates and he will definitely use the the used car analogy that'll be that'll exactly be the one that that he uses um if that run trait is just not as elite as it currently is then that lessens his value um, so I think that's what you have to ask yourself. And, and really that's true. I think of any sort of, you know, run first quarterback, like in, in this year's class, you know, it's a, probably a bit of a question you have to ask for Anthony Richardson at some point in Richardson's career, based off wear and tear and age, you know, a, a reason why you have seen recent longevity at quarterback is because those guys are tremendous from the pocket, whether it's breeze or Manning or Brady or whoever, or even Philip Rivers, it's just harder to sustain that over a 15-year period if, as a quarterback, you're you're more of a runner first. You're just naturally going to have a little bit of a either a shorter shelf life or just not as effective as some others. So I still think having a mobile trait, being able to use your legs is really well served, but it comes a point in time where you just can't have that be as consistent as it was when you were 23 and 24 years old. Um, and I think Jackson has seen a little bit of that with his availability here recently. And even if the availability gets back to a decent level, again, what happens when the run you know, element just isn't at the same level that he's shown here early in his career? By the way, a quick college basketball note, Jim Beheim has announced his retirement. So I think 47 years at Syracuse mm-hmm. in all. For Jim Beheim, the Hall of Fame coach, he has announced his retirement. Of course, Syracuse in round one of the AC 
SEC tournament a little bit earlier, lost um, in in Greensboro uh, to Wake Forest. Adrian Autry, you might remember that name. Of course, he played at Syracuse. Adrian Autry, who is an assistant, is going to take over for Syracuse. Jim Beheim is retired, and that was just uh, announced here in the past couple of minutes. Gosh, I feel like, John, I have no idea what year it would have been. But at this point, I feel like it's at least a decade ago that Bayheim had named Mike Hop- Hopkins his, yeah. his, uh, his the old coach and lady. Now I feel like Mike Hopkins is about to be fired at Washington. He's <laughs> yeah, I mean, been all <laughs> yes. It is, and that was like, it seems like it was about a decade ago, wasn't it, or more? Oh, it, yeah. I, part of me thinks it might have been even more than a might decade. Have been. But, yeah, I just... I got a little tired of Bayheim here late. It's just a lot of whining for me, and and it, I just seem like he was holding on for dear life. I know, but seemingly on a every third year basis, you would get Syracuse as this, you know, whatever the the ten seed, and no one looked like they had any idea what it was like facing his own in the NCAA tournament, and they would get on a run, but they just haven't had anywhere near the amount of consistent success that he had had but 47 years i mean hell of a run there and again i'll be curious if they're able to sustain that because i don't think syracuse new york people are just flocking to go play basketball there so it's great to Bayheim, certainly for for what he built but it just seems like over the last you know 10 years or so they just have not had the same level anywhere near the same level that, that they previously had. i just thought the old big east was so much better for them than the ACC, the old Big East. And all you have to do is is watch that 30 for 30 about the old Big East. And I know everything I talk about is, you know, way back when or years ago or decades ago, and that's all you ever do. But if there is one thing that was absolutely better, it was that conference with that group back then and he was an essential an essential part of that and while there's been successes you know as a part of the ACC it just really hasn't been the same across the board no I mean even watching Butler St. John's today and, and I know I think it's tomorrow maybe it's UConn Providence so you have a little bit of the old right. guard with that but just you don't get the same sort of Madison Square Garden it's Syracuse UConn it's you know Seton Hall Villanova um, I know Notre Dame wasn't really a traditional Big East team, but I think there was just a little bit of a hatred. Right, Georgetown. That, I mean, it, it just comes to Notre Dame. Georgetown certainly. It was. It was. Uh, it was culturally. It was a cultural game changer in the '80s too. I mean, from from shoe wear, you know, to you know, Georgetown jackets. I mean, it's just everything that I remember then. It had such a cultural significance, even beyond the basketball floor. Then it was incredibly meaningful. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I thought even like their little subtle additions, you know, from like a Louisville standpoint, you know, they added a little bit of spice there. Again, it's not the traditional kind of old Big East, but. Patino brought some of that there. Uh, but, yeah, I just felt like whether it was not adapting with the times from Bayheim or, again, I, I know I'm stereotyping a bit, but I just thought he got whiny. I just thought he got super whiny um, late in his career and always seemed to be, you know, us against the world mentality and just kind of held on for dear life there. Again, <laughs> you're Mike Hopkins. You have left there. You've taken another job. He's been at Washington for several years. He's on the hot seat there. I mean, hell, he could come back and, and I guess, take over for, for Bayheim, but doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. I think they're playing this afternoon, right? 
What? Are they playing this? What? Yeah, I believe. I thought that they were playing. I'd have to look and see. I, I thought that they were playing. What the Pac-12. Yeah, I think if they win, they get – yeah, I think I saw that they uh, they could get UCLA in round you – know, I guess it would have been whatever, the quarterfinals of the Pac-12. Kind of, kind of like Purdue. You know, it's an 8-9 matchup for, you know, in UCLA's case, they're the one seed in the Pac-12. Yeah, 74-68 Colorado. Colorado beat Washington earlier today. Washington ends the season 16-16. and 16. So there you go. So I'm guessing Adrian, was Adrian Autry just on staff with? The- yeah, he was an assistant coach at Syracuse right there. Okay. So. Got it. An assistant coach. Anyway, uh, Jim Beheim is hanging it up. That was the breaking news I was discussing with Kevin. Kevin Bowen, weekday mornings. Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. Kev's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So uh, we'll stick with college basketball. Maybe I'll end it with a couple of more questions regarding drafting quarterbacks and stuff for the Colts and some Pacers, too. But when you look at IU and Purdue, who's got the more favorable position coming up on Friday in this Big Ten Conference Tournament? And and I know, again, opinions may vary regarding the teams, even though IU is 2-0 against Purdue regular season this year. We all want to see round number three coming up on Sunday. But who do you like being able to move forward more than maybe the other as we see them step on the floor coming up on Friday? Yeah, I, mean, I fully acknowledge IU has lost the teams on their side of the bracket, but I, I do think they got the better of the draws. I think Maryland's been a totally different team away from home this season. I know Northwestern, you know, if the seeds kind of hold, Indiana would advance to face them. They obviously won. And Assembly Hall, that was during a time where Indiana was playing by far its worst basketball of the season, and they look you know, much different since, since then. And obviously there's questions about IU away from home, but I think they've had better moments, whether it's at Xavier at Mackey uh, to where they can kind of uh, point to. So I, I do think it is Indiana. I mean, it's Purdue is in a very interesting situation. I think it's very similar to last year, how the big 10, and, and this probably is probably an, an annual thing for the big 10 tournament, but you have the one seed last year was Illinois and the eight, nine matchup was Indiana, Michigan. I mean, you know, kind of a, you know, Michigan on the right side of the bubble, Indiana needs to win in all likelihood to keep their season alive at least. And they did that, the huge comeback. And tomorrow, Michigan Rutgers, it's kind of similar to what you had last year. And then you get this desperate team that advances, and they face the one seed. And, again, in IU's case, they were able to pull off the upset over Illinois last year. And, you know, if they don't win that game, they're probably out, given the fact that they were slotted into Dayton for the uh, for the play-in. So I, I still think, you know, there's just a little bit more potency on Purdue's side of the bracket. Uh, I think there's just a little bit more firepower teams that, you know, either have played better away from home or you feel like there's just a little bit more legit talent where I feel like IU, not to say IU's a, you know, whatever, pushover to get to Sunday, uh, but I think they have a little bit of an easier path than uh, than Purdue. I started at the show talking about just how wide open everything is, not just in the Big Ten here for the conference tournament, but for the NCAA tournament as well. And I thought a great example, Kev, last night was in the WCC with Gonzaga rolling up St. Mary's. And Gonzaga has not been the team this year that has been the hunted. They have been the team that me, among others, have suggested just not as good as certainly teams of the past. And what's funny about it is it may be one of their better opportunities to get to the Final Four and win because it seems like everything is just throwing a dart 
at a dartboard with really everybody in the top 20 and everybody going into this NCAA tournament. You know, from Houston to Alabama to UCLA to Purdue to Kansas, and then you go on down through what might be the top 20, top 25. There's not a great deal of distance really kept between anybody here. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I know from a seed standpoint, you know, recently it's been a lot of ones and twos, but could this be the year for the for the Kemba Walker, you know, type run or, you know, Butler as a five or Butler at whatever they were, eight or nine, getting on the run. It does kind of have that feel. I, I think a big reason why, and I know this is a little geographic bias, but you don't have the normal, like, Eastern time zone blue blood teams making noise. I mean, Kentucky and Carolina and Duke and Villanova, for that matter, more of a modern one. Obviously, in the Big Ten, you know, Purdue's been the most consistent one. I guess Alabama, you would somewhat slot in there. But the ACC's got no one. I mean, I don't think anyone is fearful of Virginia or, you know, putting them down as a 100% lock to make it all the way to um, to Houston. And, you know, Xavier and Marquette, you know, I don't think preseason expectations, they're higher for Xavier than they were Marquette. But I don't think they, you know, a lot of teams expect that. And, and you got some injuries to factor in. You know, Xavier's had a big injury here recently. UCLA, um, I saw their second leading score towards yep. Achilles, and he's out for the year. So even when you look at some of the teams on that one line, you have that question. You know, Houston is now turned into like a semi-annual. Is there enough offensive firepower? Will the whistle allow them to play as attacking of a defense that they do? But I, I would agree, John. I mean, I think it's it's very wide open. I mean, if you're going to ask me today, you know, pick a team, pick, you know, a group of teams, I, I don't know where I would feel like super confident going. The Big 12 has been the best conference all year. You know, maybe there's, you know, a team that's, whatever, fourth or fifth in that conference, and maybe they get hot. But uh, this seems to be, um, and I don't think it's just like present bias, this seems to be one of the more open uh, NCAA tournaments in quite some time. And and I think, honestly, some of the odds kind of reflect that if you were to look at how Vegas views this tournament. I mean, Gonzaga, it seemed like a few weeks ago, was like, man, they're falling out of the top 25, and now it's, oh, they could be a two-seed on Selection Sunday. I think a lot of that has to do with just the amount of parity you've seen in college basketball this year. Yeah, it's it's weird, too, because it seems like most of the teams in the top 10, if not even going further into the top 15, has had a spurt during the course of the season where it looks like that you're ready to get some separation and you know go ahead and vault or advance yourself into that upper tier and sustain that only to not just get a loss, Kev, but, you know, coupling back-to-back losses or maybe three in a row. This has kind of been the year for teams that are inside that top 25 to lose a couple consecutive. And, you know, a spurt here or there notwithstanding, it just seems like everybody's been kind of on an even plane with that in mind. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy considering the conversation in November. If, you know, you would have said, oh, yeah, Purdue's going to have four straight months where they'll be in the top five and, you know, multiple stretches, long stretches of them as the number one team in college basketball. I mean, think back to, you know, the opening night here in Indy to start the year. And if you just looked at where, you know, Duke and Kentucky and Michigan state and Kansas, obviously Kansas has proven to be by far the most consistent of those four, but where they were preseason ranked versus where they are now, it's a lot, lot different. Um, you know, I, I think Houston was a team that we thought, you know, early in the year, they could definitely be a team 
that had some staying power. I don't think Alabama was viewed maybe in this light. I mean, yes, they brought in Brandon Miller and they brought in some guys, but I mean, this is a team that, you know, Notre Dame kind of ran off the floor last year in that opening round game after Notre Dame had just played in the play-in games. I don't think they were viewed as, you know, an unquestioned top five team, which is pretty much what they've been certainly since SEC play started. And, you know, they have a, a huge cloud hanging over them right now. So, you could really pick apart any of these teams, and we've obviously done it with Purdue, with how they've played here over the last month, and you know Houston from an offensive standpoint, and they haven't been you know flawless through um, through the American Conference either. So, yeah, this is a year where you know it, it, finding that that you know five seed or that six seed that has some dominant guard, and you feel like you get hot. You know, you could see maybe one, maybe even two of those teams make it all the way to the Final Four. Well, I mean, you mentioned Kansas. Kansas, at a point in the season, lost three straight, uh, four out of six, and then won, I think, six or seven in a row after that. And and I think what you're saying speaks to both IU and Purdue because people think, well, you know, the shooting's not going to get any better for Purdue. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you just need a spurt of shooting. I mean, you need to consistently for a couple of games put something together. You don't necessarily have to be that at that moment, right, and sustain or be that as a shooting team. But you you can peak at the right time in shooting the basketball. And the same can be said for IU. Because you've got guys that can shoot it. They just don't do it consistently. And I think a lot of teams fall in a similar category of not really knowing night in and night out, regardless of your ranking, Kev, what you're going to get, which I think makes this even more entertaining as we look at it than what you usually get with that can't miss on the one line, that can't miss that you know is going to be in the Final Four. You just simply don't have that. And I think it makes it more entertaining. I'm trying to think of if it was with you, John. I'm pretty sure because you've had him on a couple times this year. I think Matt Matt Painter was saying to you, you know, that year they make the run of the Elite Eight and Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein, you know, have this historic run. Yep. It's not like Carson Edwards walked into that tournament 42 percent from three on the year. Hit everything yet, too. You know, he was hitting everything in that tournament. Uh, yes, everything. So whether it was you know he felt good about the rims and you know Hartford, I think were their first two rounds, and then down in the Yum Center. Or, or, or what, you know, that's oftentimes what it can take. And I've said this often with Purdue specifically, because, you know, in our state, they've by far been the most consistent NCAA tournament appearance team over the last five to 10 years. I'm just such a big believer in if you continue to have a program where you get darts at the dartboard, and in Purdue's case, that is top four seeds, you know, obviously if you're top four seed, you have somewhat of a favorable draw. If you continue to do that at some point, you are going to break through. Um, I think it's comparable, honestly, to to the Peyton years. You know, if you ask anybody from that Colts era, they would not say 2006 was one of the best or really second or maybe third best. They'd point to 05 or 07 or 09 as better teams, yet eventually, you know, they they caught a break and be able to host kind of the AFC title game, won an ugly one in, in Baltimore uh, to get that, and – there you go. Boom. You're in the Super Bowl and you're facing a Bears team that certainly the NFC has had much better uh, opponents in a Super Bowl over the years. So uh, that's where I look at this season and think, you know, again, picking one and two seeds. I, I, I don't have some four or five that I'm like banking on, but I would be stunned if we get like just this shock of all ones and twos making it to the final four. 
Kevin Bowen, weekday mornings. Kevin and Query here on the fan from 7 until 10 a.m. And you were digging on Miles a little bit. I heard that. So he's got to stop Joel Embiid to to be as good a defensive player as he thinks he should be. Is that true? Did you say that? I, I, I don't know if I said stop. I would think just maybe be on the floor for longer than maybe three minutes to start the game. Um, I, I, what I did love for Miles the other night, again, the, the foul trouble speaks for itself. I saw a guy, Jalen Smith, go in the game and and do what I think you would like Miles to do is, you know, show up at the other end of the floor. You know, it, it's one thing for Joel to do what he does offensively. I mean, hell, look what he did last night. I mean, that was typical Joel Embiid against a great player, but I thought it just impacted him at the other end too much either. No, where... there's no doubt. He's There's no doubt that situation's in his head. But yeah, and, and, and you, you just like to see a little bit more. And, you are going to be one of the best defenders. Again, Embiid averages what he averages, but when he faces the Pacers and Miles, it even goes high. Well, he wants to and stick it, it to it, him. It, he doesn't give a crap about Jalen Smith, honestly. He doesn't care about Jalen. He wants to stick it to Miles, and you can tell. I mean, How many times did yeah. he try to back down Jalen Smith forcibly? He, he doesn't really care about Jalen Smith. To me, this is watching it. He wants to stick it to Miles. He he just does. And I think he gets extra motivation. And, and Kev, in turn, and I, I just said yesterday, Miles got chill a little bit just because he, he was a little spastic. He got those first two fouls, and you could tell at that moment he was done. And then he oh, came yeah. back in, and he tried to do things very uncharacteristic that we have seen this season. To me, what you do is you go in there, and if he tries to take you down low, okay, put your arms up, let him try to play through you, and then go back on the other end and make him come out and guard you. He doesn't want to do that. Knock down some threes. Change it a little bit more. We love what he has done to adjust to be a better player this season, right? More rim running, more back to the basket play, a lot of stuff that we didn't think that he had in his arsenal. But against Embiid, because Embiid like you saw last night, three-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year got absolutely worked over in the second of a back-to-back in 28 minutes on the floor for Embiid with 39 points. I think you got to change it up a little bit, and the first way you change it up is you chill out a little bit. Uh, I think that he was just—he just, yeah, he was a little too spastic at the beginning of that game, trying to to show that he's different and show it against somebody that's always had his number. That was tough. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I just think if you are going to be viewed as, again, one of the best, which Miles is very outspoken, Rick Carlisle calls him the best rim protector in the world, when you face this sort of matchup, he, he, his averages shouldn't go even higher. And, and, and that's what it's been on a pretty much annual basis. That's, well, that's, I mean, that's what he does to everybody, though, man. He does that to – the only thing that's going to stop Embiid when he's motivated is his feet. That's it. When he's motivated yeah, I, like that, it's going to be his feet. That's it. I think I, – I, I know that – whatever, Monday night was the first time they faced off this year, but I remember in one of the earlier meetings looking at it, and I think Embiid averages the most points – against any opponent it's it's the Pacers and you know that that shouldn't be the case if you have one of these dominant defensive players Indiana should be in a position to where it's a little bit more average or even below average and that's where I think you want to see Miles who but obviously has had an unbelievable season and his play has ascended since signing the contract which you don't typically see that's where you want to see the next step from him
Take my advice. If there's anybody that knows Miles, it's me. Take my advice if you're Miles the next time these guys play. Kev, weekday mornings with Jake Query, 7 until 10 a.m. Entertain us tomorrow morning for three hours, won't you? Well, we'll give it a hell of an effort. And James is all pissed because I'm way over here, too. I better go. (laughs) (laughs) See you, man.